You have now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it locked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. 2233, I'm on 10 again. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. Uh, per usual, I'm Ja, and we have Troy. Um, but today we have a special guest, um, someone we know well, that people listening and watching probably don't know as well, but uh, my big sister, Atia Strange, Troy's firstborn daughter. <laughs> um, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing just, you know, really a kind of a conversation between a family, you know, a father, daughter, and son. Um, but Atia was able to attend the HBCU, Hampton University. Um, and we thought she'd give interesting perspective on the HBCU experience and the value they give to those in the black community. Um, so, but to get us started today, I think, um, first of all, anybody have any opening remarks or anything they want to share before we get started? Hey, what's happening to you? Uh, <laughs> just let, you know, the listeners know that this whole concept, this whole podcast was Willie uh, uh, Tia's brainchild. So um, the credit goes to her for the idea and the uh, production behind, you know, the podcast. So she is, we're just the faces, uh, Jai and I, and she's, uh, she's, the, she's the machine behind the whole deal. So we appreciate her putting it together. And uh, it's been a blast for the first, what, 30 plus, you know, shows. So we're looking for, you know, a few more. So we're excited to have her on. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. And let's get it started. Yeah, just pointing out the, the power of technology. We're all in three different parts of the country, uh, California, Virginia, and Kansas. Um, but we're able to meet face to face and, you know, have a conversation like this. So that's pretty cool. But like my dad said, this is Tia's first time on the show. She's seen every episode, edited every episode, posted every episode. Um, but this is her first time actually making an appearance. And so we're excited to get into the discussion today. Um, to get us started, something I think we could probably talk about for hours on end, growing up in a strange household. Um, me and my dad talked about this a lot on the show because he raised me and I was growing up at his house. Um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting to have the oldest child's perspective and my older sister um, see what she has to say. What was it like for you growing up in a strange household? Yeah, growing up, uh, it was always something to be learned in a strange house. Um, we really weren't I would say a family that followed trends or, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, that that definitely wasn't us. Um, I would say that mom and dad were conscious. <laughs> and so that, I guess, really fed into a lot of the decisions that they made when raising us. Like we didn't grow up eating red meat or pork. Um, and that was due to some stuff they learned when they were back in school. And, you know, we learned a lot about black history um, we didn't do immunizations, went to African dance classes, always at Lamert Park, you know, African dance circles, things like that. Celebrated Kwanzaa. <laughs> I mean, but even though, you know, we had those ideals, you, you, you were still in a black household. So it was some chores every Saturday, gospel music playing, you doing chores. <laughs> and we did go to church and uh, we, bo we both played instruments. Uh, so, yeah, that is the strange house in a nutshell yeah um i'll let dad chime in here but t, t is right like i said it was always something to learn there was always a lesson there 
And, you know, I think there were times where it would it would kind of bother me that we weren't keeping up with the Joneses family because I wanted to keep up with the Joneses. Like I want what my friends have. I want the things that they have, the material stuff that they have. But I think through time, you know, and I, I feel like I kind of got this at a younger age, but through time I definitely learned is like, that's, that's not what's important. So we got a lot. What I think my parents, our parents did spend a lot on and did give us a lot of was experience. Experience that other kids probably didn't get to, you know, we got exposure, we got to travel at a young age, you know what I mean? Which Malia's getting to do too. We've been out the country, across the country, all over the place. And so that's something that they spent money on, but that held a lot of value and it's something we've carried with us for the longest, so. Yeah, we always knew that material items, you know, just growing up and being a kid myself, get something brand new and next week I can't even find it or it's broke or I don't want to play with it. So I really understood that the experiences are things that you're going to remember over time and being able to navigate through life, you know, and you guys, one of the things I know you guys hated was when I made you do your webs, write your summaries for books and things that you were reading in school, which I know Ja hated them and, and Tia hated them and now Malia hates them. But I think it was allowing you to be able to read something, um, summarize it and be able to draw some conclusions so that you can comprehend what's going on and think for yourself. And those are the things that as a parent, we always wanted to do is make sure that regardless of where we're at, you guys are able to take care of yourselves. And the sooner you're able to do that, um, the better because you know life is unpredictable and if something were to happen to one of us or both of us you guys would be able to take care of yourself so those are the things that we wanted to make sure that we were instilling in you uh being able to be self-sufficient and to be able to take care of yourselves yeah um that i mean i think that kind of may lead into the next question but i know it's always interesting to ask uh, others about their household but it was really interesting hearing Tia talk about the household that I grew up into and like her painting the picture of like things we did I was like oh yeah we did do all that and like <laughs> it was how we grew up um but that's interesting but Tia our next my next question for you is and I think we always ask this because it's interesting to see when people answer this question what kind of I guess you could say you know ways that may influence what they're doing now or their interests uh, the question is, what is your most memorable experience, you know, from your, I guess, your entire life thus far? Thus far, uh, the most memorable experience for me was spending a year in South Africa. Uh, that brought <laughs> a complete, I think, shift in my perspective. Um, just having more of an open mind to different things that I was not accustomed to um, and being able to adapt to change. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that whole experience was life-changing. Um, went over there to teach English and mentor orphans, and I think they had a bigger impact on me than I on them, which isn't great, but yeah, that's that's really what, how I feel about that. <laughs> well, that's your perspective. They may have a different perspective. <laughs> you might have taught them a lot more good or bad than they taught you, but... Uh, let's talk about that a little more. I, I just, I like to dive into that South Africa experience. I think that's always cool. I always tell people, hey, my sister lived in South Africa for a year. And they're like, what, really? Um, first of all, I, I didn't know much about South Africa, but you know, from the pictures you sent, I learned a lot about the area and stuff like that. But it's very far away. Dad, what was it like, 
you know, when your daughter says, hey, I'm going to be in South Africa for a year. Yeah, it was a, uh, a bit alarming. It wasn't something I was expecting. You know, I know she wanted to to travel abroad. I know she wanted to, to you know, get out of the, the valley and move other places outside of Indio. But I didn't expect that. So when she said it, I'm just thinking, you want to go into teaching? <laughs> you want to go into teaching in South Africa? And I wasn't against it. It was just that it was so far away and not knowing anyone over there. At least in South Africa, I had people that I knew in Ghana that, you know, I had some connections to where I would have felt more comfortable her being in Ghana than South Africa because, you know, I had people that could reach out and touch her. And, you know, if something went wrong or something happened, you know, you know, she had someone that she can count on. So that made it very uncomfortable for me. But, you know, I'm a person that, you know, if there's something you're willing to do and you're ready, you know, I'm going to let you do it. Because uh, yeah, that's that the type a- of person I am. If I'm, on, if I'm, if I start making my mind, I'm doing it. I don't know what, I don't care what anybody said. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. So I know if she my child, <laughs> that's probably what was gonna happen. So instead of fighting with her, I just say, "All right, you go ahead." That was a major leap of faith, and I know you were a little, you know, more accepting of that decision. I know my mom on the other hand was not having it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the. The thing that that I guess drove that decision was, like you said, the fact that I did want to go abroad and see the world. And it, I think, was kind of my finding myself, my development <laughs> period in life. And so it was, I think it was a, a rite of passage of a kind of a thing that I needed to go through. Um, and I think I grew like, not necessarily up and mature. I, I matured, but also I grew in my perspective in having a better view of the world. Mm, sounds like that was your Bildungsromand. If anybody doesn't know what that means, look that up. That's your vocab word for the day. I know you talked about <laughs> wanting to see the world. And one of the interesting things that I think lead, led to that, because obviously I grew up the same way as you and I grew up in a house with you, is our big move from moving from LA to where we lived, you know, most of our childhood, the Coachella Valley. Um, LA was obviously a much bigger city. We saw a lot, we did a lot. We were able to experience a lot more. Uh, Moving to India, our parents made sure we got out and we saw a lot of things. But how do you think that that move affected you growing up or, you know what I mean? Like what, what differences do you think there were in the two upbringings? Yeah, I mean, LA is a much better, bigger city than Indio. Um, I think I saw the most change when I was in the classroom. So I went from being in school with Tanjay and Daryl and Kiki to being in school with Allison and Nicole and Adam. And then from being in class with Luis and Maria and, you know, it was like a complete change. And I think the environment that I was in, it catered to who was the majority at the time. And so I, I felt like I experienced things differently when I was in a class with all black students versus being in a class with all Hispanic or Latino students. So for me, that was where I saw the most change. But as far as living in Indio, um, dad's family is from there. So it was always, you know, that family environment when we were around town. I mean, having the last name strange, it's not common and they know it. And so, oh, you are strange, you can't to so-and-so and so-and-so. So that for me was like, oh, that's cool. You know, 
And then I learned, oh, I don't really like this that much because you couldn't get away with nothing. <laughs> so um, they, they, they kept up with the strangers. They kept up with you and they, they kept track of what was going on. So in that regard, I was like, okay, this is, uh, mm. so, <laughs> but on the, with the, on the same token, I think coming from Los Angeles, I always knew that there was big, something bigger. And I think in Indio, if you, you are born in a smaller town, you grow up in a smaller town, sometimes it's easier to kind of have that small town mindset mentality. And, and coming from a bigger city, I knew there was way more out there to be seen, to experience. So, I mean, growing up in LA, we used to go to the tapings of the Parkers and we used to go to the Lamert Park all the time, drum circles, um, you know, going to different fairs, going to different concerts and just, I think exposure was very important at a young age. And so I think I, I held that momentum and I felt like when I, when I did get into a smaller setting, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm outgrowing this. And so I think that's, that also inspired my, I guess, need to get away once it was time to go off to school or go to do my teaching abroad. <laughs> And dad, I think you have an interesting perspective on this because you were born and raised in the same city we were raised in, but you obviously, both of us were born in LA. You lived in LA and went to school in LA. So you, you knew, I think both areas really well, and you obviously have traveled and done a lot and you've seen a lot. What was it like to, first of all, raise your kids in the same place that you were born in where you have a lot of your family, but also to know that you kind of, that we were we experienced a lot of that, you know, the, the LA and that big city life and, you know, all of the things that that had to offer and then to move to kind of a smaller town where we knew everybody. What was it like raising your kids in that way? Well, it was, it was twofold for me. One, being around family, I knew that there was going to be people that looked out for you that I can count on that. Hey, if you're out somewhere, if someone saw you, you know, most likely they would knew who you were. And mm -hmm. you would probably knew who they were. So it wasn't a, getting away with a whole lot of stuff. So there was always eyes and ears on you guys, um, regardless of where you went. And, you know, people that I can trust that when I would say something to you, you may look at me like, he don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but I had, you know, a network of people, friends and family say the same thing. And you got to look at it and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so that was helpful. Um, on the flip side, like Tia talked about is that exposure. And, you know, that's why we made an effort to get you guys out and do different things to expose you to what was beyond, you know, the Coachella Valley and India in particular, because we wanted you to be able to dream and believe in, you know, impossible, the impossibilities are the possibilities, should I say. Because when I was a kid growing up, that's what my grandmother did for us. Every summer we'd take trips, we'd be in Oregon, Washington, you know, traveling. And so, you know, the world always was bigger than Indio. And it was like, I can't wait to get out of here. Most, <laughs> most kids who grew up here is like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. And literally I couldn't wait. And I had <laughs> vouched that I'd never come back, but I did, you know, I, I came back with the intent to get some experience, learn some things and then really move out. But things happened and long story short, you know, we stayed and I think it was a, I think it was a good move. Because I think it inspired you guys to be like, I got to do something because there's a bigger world than just Indio. And so um, in that regard, I'm glad we did. Um, in some respects, I was a little hesitant and like, eh, do I want to be in the deal? Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I think it worked out all right. 
I don't know what they're talking about, all these people watching you, make sure you don't get in trouble. I consider myself the golden child. So in terms of getting in trouble, that wasn't me. Now, Tia, she took her lumps and I learned from them. So I was, like I said, I was a golden child. So all these people watching me thing, that, that didn't bother me too much. But no, I, I, I enjoyed living in Indio. I think we went, we obviously experienced enough. We would go to LA a lot. We'd be, you know, on the go a lot. We'd see all these different types of things, college tours and all that type of stuff. So like that, so I think we grew up in a small town. We got the, the benefits of growing up in a small town, but I think we got to experience enough and see enough to where we knew we wanted more than that for ourselves, most likely. Or if we did come back to India or a small town, we, was, we were coming with a plan or something we wanted to accomplish. Um, but with that being said, after you left, you went to an HBCU. You wearing your Hampton U, the, the real HU uh, sweater. <laughs> For those that can't see or are listening, that's the Hampton University, just the real HU, as they say. Um, we want to dive into that experience for you in terms of going to HBCU. Me and my dad, we both went to college, obviously. Um, I just graduated, but I went to a predominantly white institution, Purdue University. It was not like an HBCU. Even though I never went to an HBCU, I can tell you right now, it wasn't like an HBCU. <laughs> um, I think it was good for me in other ways. Obviously, athletically, I got a lot, a lot of great networking connections and things like that. But I'm wondering, I wonder personally about the benefits. You know, I always do have in the back of my mind, like, what would it have been like if I went to school with all people that just look like me? So describe a little bit of that for you in, in terms of, first of all, what made you decide to go to an HBCU and specifically Hampton? But two, what was it like, you know, being there? All right. Well, first of all, I do want to define HBCU because we assume everybody knows, but they might not. So HBCU is it stands for Historically Black College and University. And um, when I was younger, uh, we went on a lot of college tours. Um, Dad, like he said, he, he made sure we got out. Um, so and, and you know what? The craziest thing is a lot of times like these trips, they cost money and we we came up with the funding. Um, yeah. So that that was amazing. And uh, it even providing an opportunity for the kids at the church, um, allowing them to to be able to see, you know, the the opportunities outside of the desert. That that took a lot of funding, and and I'm 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 glad that we were able to get that done. Um, so my decision to go to an HBCU, um, I guess it came in, I guess two two parts. One, I was like, I was an athlete. I ran track and I just knew I was going to get a full ride scholarship and that was that was my ticket and I was about to be out of here. And the cars didn't play out that way. And so my mentality at that point was, well, one, I still got to get up out of here. And so <laughs> historically black colleges, for the most part, are not in this area or not in California. They're going to be around around the southern parts and going to be up the East Coast. And two, I was like, well, if I'm going to have to pay for school, <laughs> I'd rather my, my dollars or my parents' dollars go to help our community or support, you know, what we have going on. So that was kind of, it kind of fed into the decision. Um, it was originally Howard. That was, that was the goal. I was like, all right, well, we doing Howard. And I didn't get into Howard. And so, no, nah, um, no, nah, you know, I remember that differently. Tuskegee. I remember you was you was really Tuskegee. really set on Tuskegee. Yeah, and I, you, you got know accepted what? to Tuskegee. You had a scholarship, but the reason you didn't choose it because they didn't really have your major. Because on the college tour, that was one of the schools you really really liked. 
Okay, so yeah. That was your first choice. Because I remember yes, that you had. Yes, Never Tuskegee's that thing well, <laughs> always at my heart. I still got my Tuskegee sweatshirt, and I used to wear it on Hampton's campus, and they looked at me crazy. But <laughs> um, the the at the time, I was in the band, and so Tuskegee was perfect in, as far as the band atmosphere that I saw, because we, we kind of had a night tour, and I was like, uh, like in awe of the band that I saw. Um, and when it finally came time to decide, okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> What's the plan? I was like, okay, I don't want to do science. And so Tuskegee, shout out to Tuskegee, that that's really what they specialize in. Um, you know, George Washington Carver, that's where he was. Uh, actually, um, a Hampton grad, um, he founded Tuskegee University. And so you know, shout out to him. And I think that, that was a great. Um, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, right. And the, I guess the final decision came when I was like, I don't want to do science. And so that's why Tuskegee kind of got <laughs> <laughs> pushed to the side. But Tuskegee will always have my heart, um, first love. Uh, and then Howard, when <laughs> I was looking at um, the, the the best, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to, you know, an HBC. I want to go to the best. So at the time, the rankings, the one was Howard, two was Spelman, three was Morehouse, four was Hampton. So like I said, I didn't get into Howard. And um, I was working with uh, a lot of people, people writing me letters of recommendation. So we appealed. And then it was all right well you know let's look at your other options so uh <laughs> dr farmer he, he uh recommended hampton the other hu and uh i was like well let's let's give it a shot uh, so i applied and you know it's it's funny how these things work because when you when you start to manifest something or start talking about something then it's like oh yeah i know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody so miss rita from the church she had a sister-in-law who was the provost at the university she was like oh yeah i'll put a word in for you we'll get this done and uh come to find out she the provost walked over to the admissions office and i was already admitted so she was like all right cool so let's get some money for school that was the next goal i was like cool i'm with it so uh that <laughs> that was the next goal okay i'm in school now and now um it's not Howard, but it's it's the next best. It's Hampton, and you know what? I I love my Hampton experience, and you can't tell me Hampton ain't the best. So mm -hmm. there's that. <laughs> but um, then came the the looking for the funding for school. Um, I knew it was it was going to be uh some finances. I was gonna have to pay for something, but you know we can we can try to you know cover the spread a little more with some some scholarships. So I was in the counseling office every day filling out scholarships. I was getting scholarships for being under 5'5". Five five. I was scholarships for being a track athlete, for being for, from California. And that is ultimately what happened. Um, as far as Hampton, I got an, a scholarship from the Alumni Association. And it just so happened that someone fell through um, and they needed a scholar from the far west, from the west coast, and that was me. So I ended up getting that scholarship and that was the beginning. <laughs> to add a little detail to that story, hold on, because there was some pieces you left. Just a real quick tidbit. Just, I think, 
this story is important because if you don't know Troy Strange, then this gives you some insight to who he is. And if you know him, then this story fits perfectly. So Tia said, this, like she said, she was applying for all of these other scholarships and she may have gotten a few, but ultimately it wasn't, you know, a big lump sum of money to be able to help her pay for school. And so my dad was like, well, why have you called the financial aid office? And he was like, well, I've called them, you know, I'm calling them, you know, to make sure, blah, blah, blah. And ultimately they just were kind of giving her the runaround, didn't have anything for her. And my dad said, well, we're going to catch them early in the morning. And Hampton's on the East Coast. We're on the West Coast. So they wake up at five in the morning every day and they were calling, just literally asking, hey, do you guys have any opportunities, any scholarships that have become available, blah, 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 blah. For whatever reason... They did it every day. I don't. I would have quit, but they kept doing it because once again, this is Troy Strange and who he is. And okay, look, that was him. He was like, "No, call him again, call him again." And so I'm like, "I'm no, I'm sick of this. They keep telling me we ain't got it. We ain't got it for you." <laughs> no, you just didn't ask the right question. So you was asking, "Do you have anything?" I said, "No." Who makes the decision on who gets scholarships? See, <laughs> I need to talk to them. I don't no, that's talk a to real anybody. thing. You, you got to learn to ask the right questions. That is something that you will learn. You, if you don't learn in life, you need to learn. That's that's a real thing. So, Dad, for that, I do appreciate you. Because they, even dealing with the government, um, calling about my stimulus. <laughs> uh. You got to ask the right questions. But uh, back, to, back to what Ja was saying. I did call um, every morning. I was asking, you know, is, do you have any scholarships available? No. Nah. I mean, by the time I got accepted, you know, the presidential had been the presidential award had been decided. The athletic awards, for the most part, had already been distributed. So I was like, okay, well, thank you. And Dad's calling back, and then he he took the phone and he he was like, who who who's making the decision? So he he got on the phone with uh, Miss Spells, who is the head of the admissions, and uh, we they just got to having a conversation and. By the end of that, she was like, you must be living right. We, we just had some fall through. Go ahead and get her uh, information over to us and we'll make sure we get that by close of business today. And that was that. <laughs> That's Troy so. Strange, y'all. T, I want to ask you real quick. Um, give me, well, and, and I, I think it's interesting because they, the HBCUs have, you have funny stories about HBCUs. I want to get one funny story. I don't know if it's your hurricane story, if it's your fried chicken Wednesday story or something, but something that I know you'll never probably experience at a, a different, not a, a non HBCU, put it that way. Mm. Uh, okay. I mean, I can only speak from an HBCU perspective because that's all I have. Yeah, but you know there's certain things that you experienced there that you wouldn't have got somewhere else. You know that. <laughs> you okay. Know that. Well, yeah, I, that's, that's where I was going. So <laughs> Hampton University is, is a unique um, university in that in the first 12 weeks before homecoming, freshmen have a curfew, freshmen that live on campus. And so <laughs> it was interesting. Um, first of all, this is my first time living with other black girls and so just learning how we all operate you know weave everywhere braiding hair talking out the window and so i was in a dorm with an og mama wilkins and she didn't play none of that um folks got in there got the acting out and she straightened that all the way out uh they were like oh i don't even have a curfew at home and mama wilkins set the set it straight you got one hit you need to be in at 11 on weekdays and one on weekends and she was not playing girls were trying to sneak out the windows it, it was 
it was always something and he and she catch him and she mm -hmm. had him cleaning up she had him she had him cleaning up oh yeah come on get in here and clean up and then they had to give a speech <laughs> they had to give a speech during our dorm meetings we would have dorm meetings uh, i think once a month on sundays and uh you 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 gonna uh you gonna you gonna talk about this so uh <laughs> i never got um i i was like you know I, i'm fine being in at 11. that's fine with me i i didn't have any of those issues but yeah. that, that was interesting i think that speaks to some of the value and i know dad always talks about it that's like that almost extended family feel of hbcus is that you have like those mothers on campus um, that you know somebody's looking out for them that you know as of our complexion is of our community and that adds a little bit of value and that makes things feel more welcoming and a little more comfortable as a parent am I right that yeah you know the traditions that they have and you know like for the most part they, they like family you know you have the, the the dorm mothers and people that are on campus the faculty and you you sit down and you talk to them and they talk to you like they've known you for your whole life you know, they just were very personable and intimate. And it made me a lot more comfortable, you know, you know, leaving her, you know, across the other side of the country. And so that experience for me was uh, more comforting. And it just, you know, I thought that the experience would be, you know, enriching and be a wonderful experience for her. Um, because I, once I got into college, I didn't really know what an HBCU was until the tail end of my college career. Uh, I did go to a, a Howard homecoming, which was, was off the hook. <laughs> uh, I wish, I, you know, I hate I missed those experiences, but overall, uh, I wanted her and you guys to experience, have a college experience that you can remember for the rest of your life, because that's probably the time in your life where you're going to get, you're going to grow the most, because you're going to oh, be out yeah. on your own from being a child in your parents' home to become an adult on your own. And you learn a lot of things in between. So I wanted that experience to be rich and it wanted to be something that you guys could remember for the rest of your lives and, and cherish that. So, um, but the HBCU experience is something that's a little different than, than most other college experiences. Yeah, like you said, that, that, you know, it takes a village type of mentality. I thought I was going, leaving, you know, that small town feel, but in actuality, like an HBCU really is like your small community. And so, everybody was looking out you know you had the old ladies in the cafeteria they was like come on me put some meat on your baby <laughs> and you had the, you had the cleaning people they was they was always spitting some type of they was trying to tell you something and and you had your dorm mothers always teaching you lessons um counselors always giving you advice and even the professors um it was it was like a, a village in the, and we were all raising all of these these young adults up to go into the world and be professionals so for that i'm i'm grateful um that i was able to experience that um, and i think like you said as far as growing up i i i feel like i grew up a whole lot um from living in a dorm situation on my own i mean i'm living with a stranger who I'm learning to cohabitate with, um, learning how to work with people. Um, I mean, you work on group projects in school, but learning how to work with people, um, I guess on a more professional level, we were in, in the school I was in, I was a communication major. We were doing us uh, writing articles and getting stories on campus. So um, we were calling real news stations. We were, we were getting stories around the, the Hampton area. And so 
we had to work together. Um, we had to come correct. <laughs> I mean, you, this is not just a little school project on campus. This is, you know, you're putting Hampton's name out there in the city of Hampton. Um, and I was also an RA. <laughs> so that came with a whole lot of lessons, learning how to manage females. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was interesting. I uh, was in the choir. I was Miss Hampton University Choir. Um, shout out to the choir. And I was in the student leadership program, SLP. Shout out to SLP. And um, I was in a music fraternity for women. SAI, shout out to the mesmerizing Yugama chapter of SAI. Wait, hold on, go back, because this is one of my last questions I got for you is you talked about the Scripps Howard School. You were a communications major. Um, I'm wondering and interested to find out what you believe that added to your experience and, you know, in terms of what you're doing now and where you're going now, what you're trying to accomplish. One, just give me a little brief overview of how that was for you and how well you think that prepared you. Um, and two, I'm always interested to wonder, do you think you would have been better served, you know, academically? We talk about, you know, lifestyle and growing up and things like that. But for an academic purpose only, do you think you'd have been better served going to a different school? Okay, so first of all, a different school, I'm not sure that I would say my, okay, my experiences are, were all, I would say, once in a lifetime. So I, I, I'm not going to to try to downplay any experience that I had. I think everything that I did experience, I experienced for a reason. And so for that reason, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't say that going to a different uh, school would have, would have changed it. Um, What I will say though, is the amount of exposure in the area. So a lot of times it's the cities that you're in or the areas that you're around is kind of the environment that you develop in. And so Hampton is, a, a city, um, but it's not like your major cities, like your DC or your New York or your Miami. Um, so learning how to function in a city like that, um, that was worth something. And I think the only other thing I, I kind of wish that I was able to experience was another big city type of experience. But whatever experience that I was able to take from Hampton, I knew that I was going to make the most of it. And I still use those experiences to help guide me in today. I live in the Northern Virginia area and I'm close to DC. And so I do work with people in DC. I work with some Howard graduates. And so, yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, this ain't that different. And, yeah. and you just, you, you, you kind of put, put things into place. Oh, okay. So this is just on a, on a little larger scale. But to go back to your first question, what was your first question again? <laughs> nah, I mean, I think you kind of answered it. And, and the point I was trying to make was that ultimately you may say, you know, Hampton is not the you know best journalism school in the country or the best communication school in the country. But that whole experience that you gain from, you know, your time in the dorms to the people around, just the connections you make with people that are in your community. I think that adds to the experience. And ultimately, that's what gets you, you know, a lot further. And so I think that's a big thing. Um, my but last- I'd also say with that too, you have prominent people that came through that school. I mean, you had DJ Envy of the Breakfast Club went through Hampton. You have, what's her name? The Wanda Sykes. Wanda Sykes, I mean, the comedian, you know. Ruth Carter. So you have a lot of people that came through that communications program that are doing some big things. So I think what she said best is that, you know, she made the most of those experiences and they gave her what she needed it's really up to you at that point to connect the rest of the dots to make it happen for yourself. So, um, and the key to that too is that 
I think what's even better about it, once again, going back to our whole experience, is as those people have gone through that school and they've had the Hampton experience, that's something you guys can connect on. One, they look like you, so there's a little bit of that comfort there. But hey, you're a Hampton grad. Did you know so-and-so? And that's a connection you can make, just like with any other school. Um, but I think it's added because it's such a unique experience in that way. Um, right, yeah. And and to, to add on to that, the village, the village feel, like I, I'm gonna be quick. The village feel is for real. Like it, it, it spans so far. Like it's a network that you've created coming from that that village. And then I mean, everybody else is doing it. So yeah, we're we're looking out for our own as well. That. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it, it's it's ultimately what we're gonna need. Um, my last word and kind of my, I wouldn't say a question, but just kind of comment is I think a lot of the attention and exposure that the HBCUs are getting have been getting recently. I think the NBA is doing a great job of trying to help fund and, and you know, increase the exposure and awareness of HBCUs. As someone who went to HBCUs, I can imagine that makes you one proud, but two, also you're hoping that that can lead to just greater opportunity for people that look like us to ultimately go to these schools and have the best experience possible. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it like I said, it goes back to exposure. That that is is very important. Um, just in exposure to a lot of different things, good and bad. It just it really helps to round out a human being. And so, with people now at least being aware of that HBCUs are a thing that exists. Oh, okay. And you know now finding oh okay this is something that I feel like I align with because you were exposed to it now you found oh this is my path this is my avenue right here and so I think that that's powerful and I think that it's um, also giving the corporate world like a view into oh HBCUs let's let's give back oh let's partner with them they have this going on and you know they're always trying to do these give back programs and things like that. And so this, this is, you know, here's your opportunity. <laughs> we here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, go ahead. And statistically, when you look at the number of doctors, I think of lawyers and dentists, a large portion of black doctors and dentists come from HBCUs. So there's specific programs and just, I guess just that family village in the way that the HBCUs cater to those students uh, to prepare them. So when they go out into the workforce, into the world, they're prepared. You know, they're going to conduct themselves a certain way. There's just a certain expectation when you go through some of those universities. Also in the early 90s, there was sort of a movement. It was largely through hip hop where you had mm -hmm. the HBQU sweaters and sweatsuits and hats that were, you could see if you go back and look at some of the early 90s, you know, music videos, you can see those. Um, with that same type of exposure and promotion that was taking place. And so it's good to see, you know, now recently from the corporate world that they're shining some light on that and giving it a little more exposure. I think that's something that's coming back around too with the HBCU kind of the fashion and it being a fashion statement. Chris Paul's done a great job of, you know, shedding a light on HBCUs, all of them, uh, with, whether it be through his shoes that he wears on his court, on court and during the game and stuff like that. But speaking of ancient history in the 90s, let's get into a little bit of black history. We're still doing Black 365. And I figured today we'd do some black history facts on Hampton University um, since, you know, we have that connection there. T, you got some Hampton University history facts for us? Absolutely. So um, I did want to say that HBCUs were started uh, really by black philanthropists um, a lot of the times. And then you had the white philanthropists who felt the need to give back because they've been through so much. And so 
Hampton <laughs> was started as a normal school in 1868 by General Chapman Armstrong. And he was a white uh, military general. And it was actually started as an experiment to kind of see, do Africans and Native Americans have the capacity to learn to, you know, take in this information? And they found, oh, yeah, they're capable. <laughs> they, they can. And so um, from there, it kind of evolved and it became the Hampton Normal Institute of Agriculture. And so they started to uh, build the, the buildings that you see on campus actually were built by Hampton students and they were uh, farming on the land. And then from there, it evolved to Hampton Institute. Okay, we're a school now. We teach. And so um, from there, you know, the numbers have been up and down. Um, a lot of times it was it was more of a financial burden. Um, and so uh, in the World War II, um, the university or the institute was uh, falling on hard financial times. They were like, we may not make it. And so the government came in and they actually built some buildings. They were like, we're going to set up shop here. We are going to work on uh, some of our uh, militia or artillery, some things that to that of that nature for the world, the war that they were in. So they built buildings and they they were training up students, uh, black students. They were like, yeah, you, you guys are capable and we need you on deck. Like we need you to help build up this stuff. We need you to know how to uh, conduct maintenance on it, all of those things. And so after the war, they uh the, the university had gotten popular or the institute gotten popular and they ended up buying back those buildings and they were like okay we we back in business and so in 1981 they officially became a university and uh it's still hampton university to this day well there it is the real hu uh once again t we appreciate you having in front of the camera uh, this time around um, and uh, I think this was a great conversation we had about first, first of all, our family growing up, things like that, but also the experience that you got going to an HBCU, specifically Hampton University. Um, something that you know me and me and Dad didn't get to experience, but we're glad we got to hear your story. Um, so I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Um, as always, we appreciate you guys for tuning in, um, showing love, and we hope you continue to show that love and support as we continue on. Peace. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace. Peace.